and looking at the subject, cold waters and corrupt springs. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 25. I'll read verses 25 and 26. The scripture said, As cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. A righteous man falling down before the wicked is as a troubled fountain and a corrupt spring. In addressing these two verses, we're going to end up breaking this up over two messages. I'm working on this and studying through it. Uh, just, uh, it just kept getting longer and longer. So we're just going to go ahead and look at verse 25 this morning and consider as cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news from a far country. The fact of the matter is, as cold water satisfies the thirsty soul, so corrupt water spoils the troubled soul. These proverbs represent the contrast between good news and bad news. I've already mentioned this morning, we've had some good news and some, some not so good news during this past week. And you look, there are many examples in Scripture, there are many examples in life as to the contrast of the news that we receive, and whether it's encouraging or challenging, whether it's uplifting or discouraging. When you consider the bad news that Jacob received when he heard word that his son was dead in Genesis chapter 37, verse 32, His sons sent the coat of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is now without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. Actually, we know that mourning lasted many years. But all what good news it was when he heard his son was still alive. Genesis 45, verse 9. Haste ye, and go up to my father, and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. In a time of discouragement and heartache and despair, good news can do so much to lift you up and draw you close to the Lord. Think about when the Jews heard that the wicked man Haman had wrought through a plot with the king there of Hazarus and had plotted for all Jews to be killed in Esther chapter 4 verse 1. How that must have been such a discouragement to the, the, uh, the Jews that were scattered throughout the land and throughout the 127 provinces under that king's rule. But all what good news it was when they received word of the contrary. When Esther chapter 8 verse 13 says, The copy of the writing for a commandment to be given in every province was published unto all people and that the Jews should be ready against that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. So the post that rode upon mules and camels went out, being hastened and pressed on by the king's commandment, and the decree was given at Shushan the palace. Then jumped down, and the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. Boy, what a thrill it was to find out deliverance had come to them. As we said, there are many examples in Scripture and in life of news that comes that brings us discouragement. But there's also good news that comes from a far country that strengthens, encourages, and lifts us up. The Bible provides us with the pinnacle 
of good news. Because you know the world, I mean, there are all different kinds of views as far as what good news is. And really it depends upon who is describing the situation and whether or not it's good news. I mean, I mean for many, uh, it's good news when one candidate wins in an election. For those on the opposite side, it's bad news when that candidate wins. So again, it has a lot to do with perspective. But when you want to know really what the Bible has to say about good news and find out what the Lord considers good news, it's quite clear. You see, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible tells the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That word gospel is translated into our Bible, is euangelon. It literally means good message or good news. So when God says, I have some good news for you, you can go ahead and certainly pay attention. You can perk up your ears, you can listen and recognize it definitely is going to be good news. And that good news is that Jesus Christ is come into the world. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 16, Paul wrote, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Beloved, we have good news today, and that is Jesus Christ is Savior and Lord. I simply want to bring a message of encouragement this morning, reminding each of us, that in light of all that goes on around us, or all that takes place in our lives individually, or as a family, listen, God has good news. He's given us three things we're going to see in this verse, and then we'll pick this up as we come back to it and look at verse 26 another day. But today, notice with me, the first thing here in verse 25, we see the message is pleasant as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. First, let me remind you that in Bible times, news traveled slowly. Now, we live in a day and time when news travels instantly around the world. Something can happen on the other side of the globe, and we can know about it almost instantaneous. It's amazing. But back in those days, news didn't move quickly. And so the departure of a loved one or a friend, somebody going on a journey, it was usually followed by long periods of anxious waiting. And all when word of someone's welfare or safe arrival finally came, it brought great joy to the recipient. And this is the sense of refreshing in this passage here. Proverbs 15, verse 30, excuse me, says, The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and a good report maketh the bones fat. So as we consider these three things this morning, we're reminded as to why this news is good. Now what we're doing is looking at this passage of scripture in light of this simple truth, this simile. And by the way, let me stop here. We believe the Bible is to be interpreted literally. I hope you understand that the word of God This book that we have in our hands today, it is without error. It is without contradiction. It is without mistake. Everything we read in this book is true. I recognize everybody doesn't agree with that. Not everybody goes along with that. But that is my conviction. That is the conviction of this ministry. And I hope you are in full agreement with that. And understanding that this is the Word of God. It is to be interpreted literally. 
That means when the Bible says something took place, it actually took place. You see, a lot of people look at the Bible and say, well, number one, it's either mythical or folklore, or it's simply ideas that didn't pass down from one generation to the, to the next with no continuity because there's no guarantee that those truths that are those thoughts that are passed down have been held intact. For example, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. I know a lot of folks don't like that, but you know what? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And we see him creating light and creating land and creating water and creating life and so on. We believe that actually took place. And because we, believe, we interpret the Bible literally, we believe that creation took place in six literal 24-hour days. I realize there are a number of theories out there that say, well, one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So they refer to the day-age theory, saying each day could have been hundreds, thousands, or millions of years. Well, not so. Because the Bible tells us. Each day, the evening and the day. Well, anyway, there are a lot of different views and ideas on how to interpret the Bible. We take it literally. With this exception, when the scripture indicates in the context that what is written is a simile or a metaphor or some other type of language that's intended to picture typify or symbolize something. So again, notice in our text, 25-25 in Proverbs, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. What we have here is a simile. God is saying this principle is true. And what we find, we can use this principle by way of good news as it's defined by the Lord in the New Testament. So we start out here as cold water. The word cold. It indicates this news is refreshing. It indicates it is encouraging and satisfying. It is good news because it refreshes the soul. Here it's cold water. You see, back in those days, there wasn't refrigeration, of course. We know that. There wasn't even electricity. But it was rare for people in the, uh, the Palestinian region because it's a desert area in many places. It's low land. So it was common to look up into the, the mountains and see snow on top of the mountains and things. But for people in everyday life, they didn't have ice cubes. They didn't have a cold drink. But what they would do is... Many times they would, uh, during the time of snow, people would go up into the mountains and they would pack snow tightly into caves. And then when the warm weather came, they would bring down chunks of ice and it would be delivered mostly to royalty or to people who were very, very wealthy. So it was rare for a common person to get something that was cold, a cold drink. But all when they came by an oasis, a fountain, a well, and they drew up the water, and it was cooler than warm temperature, than room temperature. And it's just so refreshing and so pleasant. What a picture of the good news that God gives us in regard to the gospel message. It is so refreshing to know that even though we're sinners, God grants forgiveness and eternal life to all who would receive that 
good news. It's such a blessing. It's such a joy today to know our sins are forgiven, to know we have a home in heaven. As those cold waters are so refreshing, so it is. It's refreshing to know we have the truth. You know, you can pick up pretty much any newspaper printed in America today. You can turn to nearly any news station in the world today. And you don't know if you're hearing the truth or not. But when you open this book, you know God's word is forever settled in heaven. What a joy to know this book can be trusted. It can be relied upon. It can be looked to. It can be believed. It can be received. Romans, Paul said, and not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. At this moment, we know we have a home in heaven. It's not a matter of, I hope my name's on the list. I hope old St. Peter there, he lets me in the gates. How many times have you heard something like that? It's not a matter of, I hope so, I think so, I might be. I wish I am, or I cannot know. Aren't you glad today? I can say, saved by the grace of God. Not because of me, but because of him. And having heard that good news and received him as our Savior, what a joy to be able to say, I am saved. But not only that, notice with me, if you would, the second word, as cold waters to a thirsty soul. So not only is this message pleasant and speaks of its satisfying, but this message is also plentiful and speaks of the sufficiency of God. See, here, here the word water is plural, and that signifies quantity. There is an abundance of water that is sufficient to meet the need. I hate to admit this, but every time we have one of these church luncheons, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, I hope we have enough food. You know, if you're hosting a party at your home, you're having family over for Thanksgiving or some event, you're thinking, I hope I don't run out. You just want to make sure there's enough. You know, the tragedy is a lot of people today, they don't have enough food generally provide a good diet for them. And I'm not talking about other parts of the world, which that is true, but right here in America, right here in our country. Many go without basic needs in life. What's even more tragic is many go without any knowledge that should they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior, should they call upon Him, there is sufficient grace to save them It wouldn't be much of an offer of salvation if God said there's enough for everybody except for all of you in the back row. You sit on the back row, you get left out. It wouldn't have been much of a miracle if on the hillside there in Galilee, when Jesus addressed the multitude, some 20 to 25,000 people, maybe more, and he told his disciples to break that bread and distribute it to the people. We refer to that as the feeding of the 5,000 and later the feeding of the 7,000. But think about this. It wouldn't have been much of a miracle if they ran out 
halfway through the crowd. It's an amazing thing about the grace of God. It never fails. It never comes up short. Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We will never be as good as God. We will never be equal to him. We will never be like him, even though Satan would have people to believe that lie. But on the other hand, God never comes up short in offering grace and forgiveness and goodness to his own. What a blessing to know there is enough salvation to go around, if you can put it that way. There are many in Christian circles who would say, yes, there is sufficient grace for everybody to be saved, but God doesn't intend for everybody to be saved. They say God died for certain people. He died for certain individuals in each class, in each caste, in each category, in each language. He died for certain peoples in each country of the world, but he didn't die for everybody. Au contraire. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when God says whosoever, he means exactly that. It'd be one thing for us to throw open the church doors today and put a sign out front and say, whosoever wants a free meal, come on in. Chances are, since we're the ones that provided the food, we're going to come up short. But when God throws open the doors and says, whosoever, there's room for everybody. There's room at the cross for each and every soul who comes to him. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Beloved, the quantity of God's offer cannot be diminished by the number of people who partake of it. Just like the little woman had, uh, said to Elijah, I only have enough oil and enough brain to make a cake for my son and I. We're going to eat it. We're going to die. It's Elisha. And he said, get some vessels. And they started filling up those vessels more and more and more. You know, with God, more is not a problem. And if you're raising your children or when you're children, you, you finish your meal and say, well, can I have some more? Mom would say, there's no more. That's it. We've run out. God's never going to say to a sinner who repents of his or her sin, I'm sorry, no more. What a thrill to know. As cold waters, there's plenty. People are worried about all these issues. They say, well, there's not enough food, not enough water, not enough land, not enough air. There's not enough people coming to Christ and benefiting from these plenteous waters. Oh, if people would only get a handle of that, people would only learn, people would only understand that God's, not, God's grace is sufficient for every need. Acts 2.21, shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice also, not only is this message pleasant, 
because it speaks of cold water. Not only is it plentiful because it speaks of waters, that which is sufficient, but it's purposeful. For there is a specific thought in mind as cold waters to a thirsty soul. So is good news from a far country. A drink of cold water is directed to a specific need. And I'm sure you understand, nothing quenches the thirst like water. I mean, companies can come up with all kinds of neat slogans and catchphrases and talk about it being the real thing, or it talks about being the thirst that quenches. No, no. Water is the most satisfying and thirst-quenching beverage available. And how interesting, the Word of God is likened unto water. Yes, this message is directed to a specific need. Beloved, the greatest need today, that need represented by the map on the back of the world, that need represented by the missionaries whom we support, that need represented by those of us who are praying for lost loved ones that they might be born again and be saved. That specific need is that they might hear this gospel message, recognizing this water that God freely offers is given to them and they simply need to accept this wondrous gift. Beloved, that's the greatest need today. That is the need that must be satisfied. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. What things was he talking about? He was talking about the things that the, the Gentiles desire. Food, raiment, shelter. We all need that. But you know, God is ready to supply our every need. We need to turn to him. What is man's greatest need? Not food, not water, not clothing, not shelter, not a 401k. The greatest need is for he or she to know they're a sinner and that he has offered this gift freely to them and they simply need to request to receive this wondrous gift. This good news from a far country comes to us offering hope and comfort and assurance. Thus, when we look back and remember a loved one who's passed away, knowing that he or she has trusted Christ, we'll see him again, for they are now with the Lord. That is man's greatest need. Physical needs are important. Yes, I'm not trying to diminish that at all. Greatest need is salvation. Jesus said, what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall he give in exchange for his soul? People can boast about having great wealth. Wealth will only get you so far. See, Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came with a message of hope for those who were hopeless. He came with a message of salvation for those who were lost and undone. Yes, his his message is purposeful. It is specific, directed at man's greatest need. For Jesus himself said in John chapter 4, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, speaking to the, uh, the woman at the well. But 
Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And in John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth in me shall never thirst. A lot of people today, hungry, thirsty, longing for that which will satisfy their soul. They turn to religion, entertainment, activities, embellishments, but only the Lord can fill that void left by Adam's fall. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news only to those it reaches in time. That has been a long-standing statement spoken by pastors, missionaries, evangelists, Christians for many, many decades. It is still true today. What a joy to know we have received this wondrous gift. But we have an obligation. We have a responsibility to tell others. Yes, the message is pleasant because it speaks of that which is cold. It satisfies. It is plentiful because it speaks of that which is sufficient. And it is also purposeful because it deals with that specific need of everyone born into this world. That's why the command was given by our Lord to his saints to preach the gospel in every creature that all might hear and be saved. This message from afar, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. This message from afar, it comes from heaven. It tells of the love and mercy of God. It declares Christ's mission to save mankind. And it brings to us the offer of free deliverance. Have you received the Lord today? Have you trusted in him? And if so, have you shared that good news with others we allow ourselves to be so distracted by the, uh, the affairs of this world that we become discouraged and lose sight of heaven. The scripture admonishes us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, all keeping your eyes on him. Rather than looking around and be discouraged by what we see in this life, remember, look to him for he is coming again. He is that blessed hope. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Again, keeping our focus on him. We've received a message from a far country. We need to hold true to that message and continue to live for him and tell others of him. Cold waters and a corrupt spring. When we come back to this, we'll look at verse 26 and consider the counter to this wonderful, wonderful news. But we close today with this thought. Have you received this good news that Jesus saved? And if you have, what are you doing with it? Are you hiding it away? Or are you sharing with others your light? You are a light. Either you're putting it under a bushel, or you're putting it on a hill so others may see. Where's your light today?